I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews. You say, here we are again. We've got a series on the Psalms, but we keep looking in the New Testament. Well, that's because the Psalms are so often used by the New Testament writers to make certain important points. So we're turning to the book of Hebrews, and there's two sections. The first is chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, the first five verses. Hebrews chapter 1, the first five verses. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to, those, to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. There you can see are some quotations from the Psalms. Now go over to chapter 2, and chapter 2 we're going to look from verse 5 to verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 from 5 to 9. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not to be subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone." This is God's word. And I now hand over to our pastor. Good. Well, we're back in the Psalms. And we've jumped a little bit over to Psalm 8. You should have some sermon notes um, with you, beside you. Um, if you don't normally use them, um, because they're just there really as a concentration aid. Um, but today I've printed Psalm 8 on the back because I'm conscious not many of you, uh, we don't, we're not putting out the pew Bibles, you don't have access to the Bibles as such um, this morning. So Psalm 8 is on the back, as is the little crib sheet to the Psalms that we produced last time, um, just to help you orientate yourselves in the Psalm. Now, I wonder whether you ever come to, to church and you sing uh, a line in a hymn or a song and you kind of think to yourself, actually, I've got no idea what that really means. 
So you come along and you think, be thou my vision. You think, great hymn, and then you come, nought be all else to me, save that thou art. And you, you probably scratch your head. And uh, I, I, I discovered someone online commenting the same thing. They say, every time I sing this song and I hit that phrase, a button is pushed, a trapdoor opens, um, sirens blast, my brain tries futilely to untwist and unpack these poetic and convoluted words and grasp their meaning. And like all poetry, you can't speed read this or you'll miss the good stuff. I usually shake off the vertigo and sing the rest of the song knowing I just left something more behind. And I wonder whether you have the same experience when you're reading the Psalms. And today we're going to look at, at, at Psalm 8. It starts like this. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic in your name is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swims the paths of the sea. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So maybe you had one of those moments reading that psalm. Maybe you didn't notice it. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's straightforward isn't it but then it says through the praise of children and infants you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger that's a bit of a head scratcher isn't it when you when you get down to it and so we're trying to learn to read the psalms without having to dump bits along the way uh, and feel that we've uh, we feel that we've lost something and so um Christopher Ash says that there are three tasks for understanding a psalm. And I think these will be true because he said psalms are songs. And so these would be true for singing a song. Um, one is to get it. In other words, we have to understand the meaning. You can't sing something uh, with any, in any kind of truthful or meaningful way until you understand what it's about. So the first thing with a psalm, as with a song, is to get it. You need to understand the words. Second thing is to feel it. That is to appreciate the emotional content and allow yourself to be um, stirred by the psalm. And three is to do it, is to put it into practice. The psalms will, in a sense, ask you to do things or invite you to do things and you haven't sung them with, in all their fullness and, until you've done it, until you've praised or until you've uh, obeyed what it said or until you've lamented or whatever the psalm might have asked you to do. And if you remember from last time, we also have to read the psalms in a number of different ways to kind of get the, uh, the proper meaning out of them. And that's to look at it from the author's point of view um, the original hearer's point of view, so the Old Testament hearer's point of view, then from Jesus' point of view, that's the interesting part. And then we can read it from our point of view, um, the Christian's point of view. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do, uh, do that with Psalm 8 this morning. So try and put your mindset in, in, in David's time. 
It's a psalm of David. We don't know at what point uh, his, his life he wrote it. Um, but it's actually, uh, although it's been included in this early part uh, of the songs in book one, um, where David is still wrestling uh, with his enemies to establish his kingdom. So imagine David in, 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 uh, in ancient Israel. And let's try to get it and, and the kind of feel it and do it. We'll pick those up as we go along. But let's initially, as we come to Psalm 8, from David's point of view, try to get it. First, voice is, first part is, is, is straightforward, isn't it? Because it's a great cry uh, of praise and wonder. Oh, Lord. And Lord, when you see it in capital letters in our Bibles, is the name of God, Yahweh, which is based on the I am, who I am. He says, oh, Lord, my covenant God, uh, the self-existent one, Oh Lord, our Lord. In other words, that's, his, that's a title. It's Lord in little letters. That means my master, my governor, my, my king. Oh Lord, covenant God, our Lord. How majestic in, is your name in all the earth. Name is shorthand for character. How wonderfully is your, uh, my covenant God, is your character. Your wonderful, majestic, kingly character um, displayed all around the things that are uh, all around me in this earth that you have created. You have set your glory in the heavens. He moves from earth to, to heaven. Glory, I, I think we think of glory as something kind of shining, but it relates to the Hebrew word weight. You, you've put something of your, your majesty, your, your weighty, shining glory uh, in, in the heavens, in the skies. Echoing Psalm 19, isn't it? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. And in Psalm 19, it talks specifically about the sun. The sun being like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. He's a bit reluctant this morning, isn't he? Um, like a champion, uh, you know, uh, rejoicing to run his cause. So David looks at the earth uh, and sees God's weighty glory there revealed to him. He looks at the skies uh, and, and sees God's glory. And I wonder whether, like Psalm 19, that the sun is a, is a revelation of God to us. If all creation is a revelation of God to us, it tells us about that there is a creator a majestic eternal creator. But I wonder about, um, I wonder about the, the sun in particular. Have you ever thought about it? It has some interesting properties. It's the source, uh, uh, it's the source and energy of, of all life on earth. There would be no life on earth if, if, if it were not for the sun because it's the sun's energy that, um, that, that drives everything. It provides light, doesn't it, so that everything um, can see. And, and it's like God, isn't it? It's, it's the light provider, and yet it's so bright that you can't look upon it um, without protection, without protection over your eyes. And interesting then, when you think about it in those terms, if the sun reveals God to us, then why does a psalm, psalmist use the word bridegroom? It's like a bridegroom. Maybe the sun in all its glory is a picture of the sun, of, of Jesus Christ. So David is this, this great eruption of praise that God has revealed his glory in, in all creation. But then the, then the difficult bit. 
Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold uh, against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Previous version said, from the, lips, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And there's a word there which means primarily strength, but is translated a couple of times in the Old Testament, praise. And as we'll kind of think about later on, when Jesus quotes this psalm, he quotes it as praise. But I'm going to take it for the moment as it's written there in, in NIV. And let's work it backwards. What does it mean that somehow these praises of children establish a stronghold against the enemies? Well, let's work it backwards. I think it works like this. How are the enemy, the foe, the, the avenger silenced? They're only actually silenced when David has military victory over them. They're only really silenced when, when David's kingship is either exercised or, or demonstrated um, over them. And Israel and David only have victory, and David's kingship lasts when and only when he is trusting the Lord in, in covenant obedience. Hang in there. So they're silenced when there's victory. There's only victory when they're trusting God. Covenant obedience and trust will be maintained as long as the people are teaching their children the faith. And when the people are not teaching their children the faith, then covenant obedience is going to, is going to run out and the protection of God and the stronghold of God is going to be broken down. So it's a lovely picture when you work that background. You need, we need to get it to be able to sing it. The praise of infants, though they are the most powerful, powerless rather, people in the country, is a sign of the nation's trust in the Lord and it makes them invulnerable in battle and it silences the foe and the avenger. It is a stronghold. David then returns um, uh, briefly to, to, the, to the skies when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, moon and the stars which you have set in place. And it's lovely, this, this idea, isn't it? That, that God kind of like, we, we, we know from, from, from astronomy that some of those things which are like little specks um, in, in the night sky are, um, are kind of vast galaxies. And it's just a lovely thought, isn't it? That, that God would kind of take a planet and he just... Um, it's a work of his fingers, or he just kind of d does that, and there's, 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 there's a milky way. The Lord has put the vastness of the heavens out there with just the, the tiniest movement of his fingers. And if that's the case, David said, what is mankind? What are human beings, literally? It's a word for human beings. What are you mindful of them? What are the sons of Adam, literally, that you care for them? If God goes out there and just sprinkles vast galaxies with his fingers, what are you and I that God would even think about them, think about it, let alone care for us? As you get older and older, you just become more conscious that you're just a watery bag of bits. Okay, and you're a watery bag of bits that's wearing out. Um, you become very conscious of that. And should you have an argument which something is with, which is metal or concrete, you become really conscious that um, we have no inherent strength. 
Why would God, why would God who creates the universe look at you and even think about you? Why would he care for me? And yet, David says, you made us a little lower than the angels. The angels are God's powerful messengers. God's uh, powerful servants. And you've been made just a little bit lower than an angel. You're not quite an angel yet. Never will be, of course. But you're just a little lower than the angel. And God has crowned you, crowned us, crowned uh, humankind with glory. Some of his glory, some of his weight, some of his importance, some of his worth and honour by making us rulers over what he has made. Of course, that um, echoes Genesis 1, doesn't it? God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Wow. What a trust. God would take all that he's made and entrust it to human beings like you and me. Humans are responsible for the planet and everything in it and everything on it. And then David bookends the, the, the psalm with that great cry of praise, Lord, my covenant Lord, my God, my King, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So we start to get, we start to get it on David's terms. We start to feel it. But let's just think for a moment from the Old Testament saints' point of view. There's a tension, I think, in this psalm, even right from the start. David writes about humanity's um, control over creation as if he's back in Genesis 1, as if the kind of fall hasn't happened. When he is in the midst of still trying to get control over his enemies and his foes. And so there's a, there's a tension. Dave, David, how is David going to rule over all of God's creation when he can't even yet subdue his enemies around him? And if you look at your crib sheet for a moment, um, just turn that up, you'll see that um, Psalm 8 comes at the end of a mini section of, of Psalms. It's in this book one, um, which are psalms about the establishment of the, of the kingdom. But were you to look back, um, we've, we've, take, we've taken Psalms 1 and 2 as an introduction. And uh, so Psalms 3 to 8 are kind of a lot like a mini section. And so Psalms 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 are all about David's crying out, Lord, my enemies, my enemies, what are you going to do um, about my enemies? Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Um, Psalm 3. So what is David doing here? What is, what is he writing here? There is, there is a tension, I think, even in David's time, um, certainly in the context of Psalms 3 to 7, this, uh, this, this mini section, uh, David's enemies are all around him. There's a kind of tension here. Perhaps that tension was lessened uh, at the height of, of the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon when uh, they, they had conquered most of, of their enemies and things were settled for a while, just for a while, just essentially for the one generation before things went wrong again. 
And eventually there was this uh, slippery slope of disobedience to the covenant which left um, Israel, the northern uh, part of the nation, and then Judah in, in exile. How would you sing Psalm 8 in exile? You made them a little lower than the angels, put everything under their feet. There's a kind of tension there, isn't there? Even after the exile, when they came back from exile, Judah was a, the southern kingdom was a, was a vassal state. Their enemies had conquered them in all senses of the word. So how are we going to resolve that tension? I'm going to resolve it by reading it from Jesus' point of view. So get the psalm up in front of you again. And just ask this interesting question. Um, how would Jesus have sung this psalm? Okay, let's say Jesus is in the synagogue or they're having family worship at home. Uh, as a young man, Jesus sings this psalm. What on earth would he, would he have thought? Because Jesus can sing this song from the inside. Jesus sings this psalm with um, insider knowledge. So Jesus would sing this psalm and say, Lord, covenant Lord, uh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, with intimate insider knowledge of the relationship of the Trinity. So he sings this from, from, the, from the inside. And it, his, his uh, intention was always to uh, bring glory to his father. In a relationship we can, we can only imagine. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And Jesus would sing, you've set your glory uh, in, in the heavens. Again with insider knowledge because Jesus was there. Jesus was there. He was active in creation. He was the father's agent in creation. In the beginning was the word. John 1, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is Jesus, of course. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus was the word at creation. This may be getting a bit poetic, and I may be stretching things a little, but maybe we could even say that Jesus was God's fingers that put the moon and stars in so when Jesus sings this, he sings this with a, with a much greater knowledge of the relationship with God and, and, the, and the process and first-hand knowledge of, of creation. But Jesus is also the person who is praised by children and infants. So it's amazing. I guess Jesus wouldn't have sung this as a, you know, in a sense, maybe he knew, as he, did he know as a young man this was coming? I guess in his divine nature he would do, but later in his life, Jesus enters the temple courts and he drives out, you remember, all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables, chucked out the, uh, those selling doves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, Matthew says, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. And yes, Jesus replied. Yes. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, Lord, you have called forth praise. It's quoting Psalm 8. So Jesus is the one 
is the God who is praised by uh, children and infants. Again, he, he, he can read this psalm now with, its, with, with a kind of insider knowledge. And intriguingly then, it's the chief priests then, isn't it? At that point, who have become the foe. And of course, Jesus could read this as the, the perfect man. So you and, uh, you and I, through the sins of our forefathers, Adam and Eve, lost the ability to rule over creation. We did not lose the responsibility, but we lost the ability to rule over creation. But Jesus is, is born of Mary. Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's not tainted by sin. And, and since that moment of, of sinless um, conception, he's not put a foot wrong. He, he is the, the perfect man. And he is going to be fully obedient to his father, even obedient to death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, Paul in Philippians, and gave him the name that is above every name. Good choice of song. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus, the perfect man by his perfect obedience to his Father, after his death, resurrection and ascension, is seated at the right hand, right hand of the Father. And the Father restores to him the rulership over creation that humankind was supposed to have. Do you get that? By his perfect obedience, God gives to Jesus the rulership over creation that you and I should have had but lost. And that's the reading of Hebrews 2. I haven't got time to go into this. You have to read that for yourself, but it's really interesting. And it's difficult because it's long convolute, convoluted, so it was difficult to pick out enough bits of it to make sense this morning. But the bottom line is this, that Hebrews 2 says, quotes Psalm 8 about making mankind a little lower than the angels, and then, and then everything being subject to him, and then says, but at the moment we don't see everything subject to him, to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of death, uh, grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So Jesus has recovered uh, mankind's ruling role over creation, and you and I will be involved in it uh, when the new creation comes. There's lots to take in there, isn't there? I know. But let's see then how we can read this psalm in Christ. But before we go any further, if you're going to read it in Christ, you have to, reckon, you have to be one of these people for whom Jesus has tasted death. That's what... Tasted is a very kind of intimate kind of thing, isn't it? Uh, to, to have tasted something is to have put it in your mouth, put it inside your body. Uh, um, so when Jesus tasted death, he has, uh, the writer means he has experienced it um, in all its fullness, in all, it, in all its bitterness, in, in all its pain. 
And the bitterness comes because he's tasted what you and I will face if we face God outside of Christ, which is the bitterness of, of God's anger um, and, and God's wrath. Um, and and Jesus, Jesus has tasted that. And if you trust him, he has tasted that for you. And if you're in any doubt about that today, you need to talk to somebody, but equally you, you need to say to Christ now, um, I don't want to risk tasting death for myself. I, I'm sorry for all uh, that I've done wrong. Sorry for standing away from you, from rebelling against God. I repent of that now and I want to turn away from it. I accept that what you did on the cross was penalty for my sins. Please apply that to me. Lord, I believe what you said that you would do, that you want to give me your perfect reputation transferred to me. Please do that for me now and please give me forgiveness and please send me your Holy Spirit to work in me and change me from the inside out. So for this next bit, I need to have said that. When we come to the tasting in a moment, uh, around the table, you need to have said that to the Lord at some point if you want to join in. And now we can, re- we can read the, the psalm as, as in Christ. So we, we celebrate the, the Lord, our Lord, uh, how majestic is, is your name uh, in all the earth. We can, we can sing that. Not that we, we, we have a greater knowledge than, uh, than David because we, because we know we, we've seen God uh, in human person in, in Jesus and we've understood the basis on which we were forgiven, which he, would only, he knew he was forgiven. But I guess he would have just looked at the sacrifices and trusted God that a greater sacrifice was, was to come. Or you and I can look back. So we can sing perhaps even more loudly than David. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And, and so here's, here's a suggestion, but you can work your own thoughts up. Why don't you, every time you step outside the door this week, look around, look up, and say, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If you're like me, you'll think, that's a great thought, and you will have forgotten it by the time you go home. Um, so you might need to kind of make it. I'll, I'll let you make a note on your phone if you want to, even now. But here's another thought. Put a post-it note on the inside of the door. Just, just to remind you to do that. Because we need to have this, for our own well-being, we need, we need to have this attitude uh, to creation around us. It, it just sets us in the right relationship with God. Um, and it, it, it starts to engender in us um, a, a pattern of praise. Praise to be kind of like the, the underlying response of our life to creation around us. Reflect on the God who, who cares for you. What, what, how amazing that God who created all things should, should care for you. The God who made the sun cares for you this morning. And like the sun, you know, the sun goes in and out from behind the clouds, doesn't it? And yet it is always there. It is always the source of life. It is always actually the sustainer of all things. If there, were, if there was no... 
Uh, if there was no sun, there'd be no, no water cycle and it wouldn't be tipping down with rain, even as we speak. Um, but there's something in there to be reflected on, isn't there? That there are times when it just seems like it's raining, but it wouldn't be raining if God wasn't there. If God wasn't the sun. The sun. Through the lips of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies. We teach our kids the faith. Every time a small child praises Jesus, the church, the local church and the kingdom uh, is built and strengthened. And we have all failed somewhere along the line in bringing our kids up in, in the Lord. So pray for opportunities to, to talk to your kids again. And pray for them and continue to pray for them. This is strength in the church if the small children uh, can praise the Lord. Uh, it is good news for the family, for the church and for the kingdom of God. They need your teaching. So we can sing that. We can sing when I consider the work of your heavens. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? And we can marvel And then we can honour our role as stewards in creation. You've made us rulers over the work of your hands. So you need to start now what you will do in the new creation. In the new creation, you will be ruling with Christ uh, over everything. And you need to take up your, uh, some aspect of your rule over creation now. So I wonder whether you want to do something climate responsible this week do, do one thing change your energy supplier get on a green tariff it's not obvious I know but there's, sometimes there's small things and we just need to do them find out how to recycle aerosols I kind of like um, you know I kind of thought and then I thought well now I've written this actually I'll go and do that so you know and I went on the, went on the, the, the Surrey website and do you know the truth the truth is, if they're empty, you put them in the bin, and if they've got anything left in them, you take them to the tip as hazardous waste. But there you go. You see, I've got a stack of about seven or eight in my kind of bedroom cupboard because I didn't know what to do with them. Find out. Do something about it. Find one thing that you buy that comes in single-use plastic, buy it in a different way. If you tried to do all of it, you would find it really hard and really expensive, but we need to start somewhere. Buy meat, fish and poultry that has high welfare values. These things are under your hands. They are your responsibility. Or read There's No Planet B by Mike Berners-Lee. Sometimes when I've got a book token, I go and buy something that I wouldn't ordinarily have read. Um, and that, that was one of them. Uh, There's No Planet B by Mike Berners-Lee. I think it's not polemical. Uh, it's, it's not condemning. Um, it's a very practical, very helpful little book. Go and read it. Because you need to start now doing what you will do in the new creation. You remember this from Revelation last week. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That person will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. Quote from Psalm 2, where we were before. Just as I have received authority from my father in the new creation, you're going to be ruling with Christ and you need to start practicing.
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then the psalm finishes, O oh Lord, our oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Get back outside and marvel some more. Stick a post-it note on the back door as well as the front door. Let your marveling feed your confidence. So what were the three things you needed to do? Sing a song or a psalm properly? Get it? Feel it? Do it. Brilliant. Well done. That's so lovely. That's so heartwarming. We get it. Jesus is the Lord who is revealed. He is the agent of creation. He is the one praised by children. He is the one who is in charge in heaven now who will qualify us to rule in the new creation. We get it. We feel it. How amazing is this revelation in creation all around us, even the pouring rain. How reassuring that is of God's ruling care for you now. How awesome and important is our responsibility for it. And we do it. You do it. I praise him. I trust him. I honour him with my stewardship of creation. Thank you, Lord, our covenant Lord. Oh, almighty one, he says, I am who I am. I am the self-existent one. I'm not like you. How amazing that you would the one who makes creation would come amongst us this morning and speak to us through your word. What a great psalm, what a great cry of of praise we can pray in Christ. And we simply, we bow the knee, say we get this, we understand this now. Lord, thank you. We feel it. We, we sense your presence and we, we, we feel the praise um, welling up in us in response to it. And Lord, we ask you to help us do it. Put it into practice to spend time praising you, to trust you when life is difficult, to reflect on the creation uh, around us and own it as yours and to do something responsible with it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, a great one, for being with us this morning. Amen. Amen.